Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And today I'll be talking with Ramones Togario. Ramon is an MEP for Romania in Renew Europe, and we're going to talk about all that we can do to help free and independent media. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of July. I'm here with Ramona Strogariu. Ramona, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. You are very welcome. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, it's a privilege to have you here in such an important topic as it is um, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the freedom of receive to import information. And before we go into all of that, I would like you to tell us a little bit about your past of uh, political activity. But even before that, you were already associated with civic participation. So tell us a little bit, how did you get to this point where you are right now? Well, I think it came naturally because I, I was involved in working with non-governmental organizations, international um, NGOs, basically, since I was 19 years old. I first volunteered, then I uh, was offered a job uh, in a non-governmental organization, which had programs in 37 different countries at the time, fighting for better condition, living conditions for children, uh, having teaching programs, spreading education and awareness everywhere in the world. So this is how I basically structured my um, and shaped my future and understood some uh, basic principles uh, of activism and civic activism. And um, ever since I worked in different um, environments uh, which were paying particular attention to rights, uh, liberties, freedoms, um, and uh, in, in, you know, my, my step into politics was as a matter of fact uh, a decision based on uh, such a situation which uh, rose in Romania when we had a massive fire, uh, collective uh, fire, where people, uh, a lot of people, actually 64 people lost their lives, another several hundred were severely injured because of the government's and authorities' reaction with impunity uh, for years and indifference and uh, incompetence, you know, and, and refusal to address certain um, things uh, in, in the society for a long time. So uh, that was my moment to decide that it was about time to move on uh, because you know as well as I do that uh, political decision is fundamental in order to move things and change them in a society. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, uh, you know, uh, governments are, are, are responsible for many things. So here I am. Well, and we're very happy that you made that decision. We were talking about the work you do uh, on the European Parliament regarding uh, freedom of speech. But before that, I should say that I saw uh, Ramona on the uh, webinar organized by the European Liberal Forum called Liberties in Lockdown, particularly the one with um, if coronavirus were infected free speech. And you can find it both on a ELF website on, on Facebook. And one thing about you, Ramona, it's I saw the passion as you were defending your positions and clearly it showed to me and it shows to anyone that will see the video that this is important for you and you are in the front line fighting for this. So let's start with that. How did that interest 
come about? You already mentioned some of your past, but particularly at this point, what was the trigger to go deeper into it? Well, I saw it first of all in my country. And then, uh, you, you know, when you live in a country with a communist past, um, and, uh, when you grow up learning how to treasure so much the freedom of speech, I think it is a, um, a natural step for your path in politics as well. Um, I do um, remember that I was a child and, and uh, my parents were uh, literally struggling to listen to uh, the Voice of Free Europe uh, locked in their uh, little room uh, without, you know, having... Uh, without being allowed to, obviously, and with a huge fear of being arrested because they were doing that. Um, and then the transition from the communist years to a free world was uh, not necessarily a, a, an easy one. And I, I grew up seeing all kinds of abuses and uh, a lot of moguls who, who uh, basically um, owned the, the media for a long number of years were not, uh, were not past that. Um, yet in my country, and this happens in a, in a lot of other countries, as a matter of fact. So uh, once you realize that you want a democratic world, once you uh, realize that you are very close to the European values and to uh, whatever represents you as a European citizen, I do not see how otherwise you could address this when once you are in politics. Uh, literally, if we look around us, uh, the way uh, the European Union looks today, it is the safest place for journalists, uh, by far, from, from, from the entire world. And yet, uh, we still have in the European Union situations where uh, people die for the truth and where journalists doing their job are, are assassinated. So there's still, there's still a far you know, way to go uh, until we get to those... Uh, um, to, to that image of a, a free world and a free, free speech that we uh, imagine. Well, normally people are concerned with what happening, what is happening now. But these tendencies to uh, reduce freedom of, of expression, to try to have people not get information like we just mentioned that happened to you, or arresting people because they want to... Uh, share information. This is not new and it's been happening long before this crisis that we have right now. And I remember after 9-11, we had that kind of response or with digital uh, issues, digital threats also. So tell us how can we fight this at different levels? And you mentioned that there are different levels of uh, intervention by the society. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, well, it's it's not uh, easy, that, that's for sure, and it's not new uh, either. I mean, it, it has been happening in our societies for a long time. And I think we have to look at different things, uh, at, at several things. Yes, prevention is really important, um, but prevention uh, it could can be uh, and could be basically the most effective level of intervention if we want to fight these things. Once we realize that we have to address this issue as soon as it shows up or immediately uh, uh, identified. And I will give you a very simple example, SLAPS, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the Strategic Lawsuits Against Public Participation. The first SLAP case that we ever had was in 1989. Mm. And we never thought of uh, doing something serious about it. We never thought of coordinating ourselves better in, in, in reaction uh, or at, 
we didn't think that legislation maybe at EU level or at the level of the member states uh, would be necessary. And in 2017, when Daphne Caruana Galizia was murdered, she had 47 active slaps opened against her. Um, and I don't know whether you saw the recent report of the Council of Europe, but in 2019, Croatia alone had 1,160 slap cases. Mm. But I wonder, you know, if we had started to tackle this issue 10 years ago, probably today journalists wouldn't have been completely scared like they are right now in Italy, where they can pay up, if, if they have a trial ongoing, they can pay up to 50,000 euro fines uh, and many more other legal costs and so on. So, um, yes, just, no, early, do it early, address it early. Then um, exposure is also very, very important, exposing this kind of attacks. And this, uh, this is where civic activists and civil society have a very important role as well. Uh, but along with the institutions, um, it's really difficult to do uh, this in, in situations uh, in countries like Poland and Hungary, because there you have media ownership uh, of a few friendly voices of the government. Uh, and then you see how media is slowly dying because uh, of a few people, basically, and the government concentrate this, this power and these voices. Um, but you do have platforms like the Council of Europe is the leading uh, example where everything can be revealed. And we have the, the, the Council of Europe platform to promote the protection of journalism and safety of journalists which is basically uh, the essence and an essential tool to offer the journalists under attack the possibility to signal these issues. Um, this year's report, I don't know whether you saw it yet, but it covers topics um, uh, from how media coverage works these days to protests and demonstrations and online harassment, censorship and so on. Um, and we, they recorded 142 very serious threats to media freedom, including 33 physical attacks against journalists, um, 17 new cases of detention, uh, 43 cases uh, of harassment and intimidation. And they're not talking only about countries that we consider illiberal. They are also talking about uh, attacks on journalists reporting from protests in France, for example. You know, France is not a country that would be the usual suspect mm -hmm. when we, we discuss about media freedom. Um, or, you know, they highlight the murder of a journalist in Northern Ireland. I had no idea that the journalist was murdered in Northern Ireland. Uh, he was shot while reporting on riots in the country. And, and um, we never, I mean, we didn't know that this was one of those cases which never hit the, the top um, uh, news. Uh, but uh, it, it did happen in Europe. Exposure is essential, uh, to, to, to come back to my uh, idea. If, if we go further um, and we talk a bit about political responsibility, uh, this is dramatic. I, th I do believe politicians have a fundamental role in uh, reacting once these uh, things are exposed. Uh, because in silence is how democracies die, always. 
Uh, and in being vocal about it is important coming from the side of the civil society and all, all of the stakeholders uh, involved, but taking it further away and, and making it a very strong political st statement is up to us. And then taking it to the level of pushing anti-slap legislation, for example, and creating more platforms uh, at the level of the commission uh, so that they can react, having a rapid response mechanism in case journalists are threatened or freedom of speech is endangered, can be done by politicians. And this is where we should definitely, definitely act to, to prevent it, to prevent it or to stop it when, when it happens. Absolutely. And those examples that you gave, very uh, valuable ones, because even if, as you mentioned, there's legal issues and there are uh, influence issues, but all this translates into uh, self-censorship because then journalists or even the regular people, they will not speak out because they will be afraid that they could be punished or persecuted or harassed because of that. So that is a major problem. One solution that you give us is to use declarations or, uh, for example, the uh, conventions, conventions like European Convention of Human Rights or Declaration of Human Rights as cornerstones and then have that as a guideline and do not stray away from that. Tell us how can we do that? We do have uh, in the European Union and in Europe mechanisms to defend uh, rights, the right of free speech uh, and the press and to stick, in, you know, we have the le legislative framework, which is really important, like the, the European Convention on Human Rights or the Declaration of Human Rights, uh, which allow us to, do, to react and to also sanction uh, when these kind of situations happen. Um, and I will I will uh, refer to very concrete tools, but then let me first say that um, if we if we look at what governments do right now during the COVID uh, crisis, um, and if we look at, at the kind of measures that they adopted uh, recently under the context of declaring a state of emergency, um, it is quite amazing. Um, there, there's a very, very interesting, good report of the International Press Institute. They have done a terrific job monitoring these, these uh, measures. Um, and I would like to give you a few examples. Bulgaria. They introduced a decree uh, so that, you know, whatever the government considers to be fake news would be punishable by a fine up to 5,000 euros or by three years in prison. It was vetted by the president, but the new bill was introduced, allowing the government to suspend internet websites. Um, freedom of information, Bulgaria and Romania take longer now to answer the requests uh, uh, based on uh, public interest, freedom of information. They have 60 days instead of 30. And you, you, you're, you're telling me that, yeah, you know, you're talking about Bulgaria and you're talking about countries that do not have such a long democratic tradition, maybe, but I'm going back and say, well, Spain, for example, or, or Greece and Spain, both of them, um, to some point, press conferences were not possible anymore. Uh, and the public officials invoked reasons of public health, uh, and they only offered limited information to journalists. Mm -hmm. And of course, by far the worst example is Hungary. 
where journalists can face really heavy fines or up to five years in prison for what the government considers false or distorted information, and where right now they have an uh, indefinite uh, state of uh, emergency situation. Well, uh, which brings us back to, to the legislative framework. First of all, the Article 7 procedure. And um, we did have several discussions and we also have a resolution in the European Parliament saying that uh, this, the, the Article 7 procedure's efficiency is not what we would uh, hope for, uh, but at the same time it functions. Uh, and uh, based on this procedure, we were able to take member states to court uh, and start infringement procedures and to have decisions of the, the, the ECJ, uh, which moved uh, things and which made possible, uh, which prevented certain abuses. Then the European Convention and ECHR, the European Court of, of Human Rights, obviously a, a dramatic uh, instrument in fighting uh, the, the any any kind of impeachment or you know um, any any kind of uh, abuse on on uh, human rights fundamental human rights in the end um, we do have it and we have a very very um, clear uh, situation there where even if we have emergency decrees in a number of member states even if some of these uh, uh, states do activate Article 15 uh, from the Convention, which allows them to derogate from the general framework of uh, uh, rights, of fundamental rights and freedoms, we still have the control of the court and we still have the court an an analyzing on a case-by-case -case basis. So no matter what they do, uh, you would still uh, have uh, uh, an analysis um, clearly uh, deciding on each and every single case which arrives at the court. Uh, so the, 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 the member states would not be able to prevail themselves by this emergency uh, decrease or state of emergency happening right now. Uh, and uh, you, you still have the legal tools if you want to act. Um, and then uh, if we want to be brave, I think that we should link EU funding and financing to uh, rule of law conditionalities for everybody. And this should not uh, hurt people. This should actually be uh, directly instrumental and directly related to those governments that are abusing. And we need to be smart in this approach. I know it's not easy to, to find a smart approach to do this. And it is a very complex debate. But I am pretty sure that we are able to do it in the end. We have to have, first of all, media freedom and freedom of speech included in this mechanism for uh, rule of law that we are thinking about right now. This has to be one of the main pillars of evaluation. And we do have... Uh, the the commitment of the uh, of, of Vera Jourova and of the the commissioners that they will do that, which is wonderful. You know, fight against corruption, uh, media freedom, and media freedom of speech. Um, uh, the, the, all, these things have to be cornerstones when you think such a uh, and corner pillars when you think uh, such a mechanism and when you design such a mechanism. So they should be there. 
and then um, having this 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 links uh, and this conditionalities uh, one step further away it is about time to rethink the treaties as well and to make the whole process easier and to make the article 7 procedure easier and to have a more a very uh, I would say a more determined approach uh, uh, and a bolder approach towards everything that prevents uh, freedom of speech, media freedom, and everything that relates basically to the respect for fundamental rights. Uh, I, I, I still believe uh, that we have to work on it, but at the same time, Europe uh, and the European Union is and it has to remain the pioneer in this uh, area. And with everything that we have seen happening lately, uh, I'm afraid that we might be losing a little bit uh, uh, the, 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 very, the very sense of the, the whole European project if we do not properly focus on these issues and if we don't do it immediately. Indeed, and I for one, I'm very happy that we have you as a champion on that uh, debate and bringing those issues to the forefront as political inconvenient as they may be. But getting back to what we can do as for example, you as an MEP, what we can do at the uh, legislation side, be, even below the you know legal court level and the treaties, there are other uh, mechanisms. And you mentioned some, like for example, what is called sunset clauses. If 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 there is some kind of um, response by a member state saying, well, we have a crisis, we need to do this. All right, but this will end. This will not continue in perpetuity or for example systems of monetarization or you we just talked about it mechanism for people to complain and have those complaints being evaluated and quickly so you mentioned that there are uh, inside the european parliament there are people working on it yes and um with the sunset clauses we actually had a very very interesting proposal uh, which came from one of my colleagues in renew europe fabian keller but we immediately um uh, supported it and developed the, the the idea a bit um to have this type of sunset clauses included in all of the uh, emergency decrees that we uh, that we have right now on the, the territory of the Union to discuss this uh, and address this with member states uh, um, as well and discuss it with the Commission, see which is the best uh, way to put it on the table of the member states because uh, unfortunately we do not have in the with the treaties we do not have this still don't have this competence to impose it to force it to make them do it but definitely mm -hmm. we do have some leverage so um, a, a really good idea would be to um, discuss the possibility of including this type of clause sunset clause in all of the emergency decrees you know that they are basically all of the measures that are taken at the level of a, a certain member state through an emergency decree should cease automatically uh, after a certain period of time, also depending on you know the necessity and the time framework for each uh, uh, emergency decree, um, so that would be uh, a good idea to, to to start with. 
Um, and then this uh, annual uh, report, rule of law uh, report that we are working on, and it will still be September. That is my understanding. It will be still published in September. And we've uh, asked the commissioners um, repeatedly to include uh, these measures and what happened in uh, the member states into the annual report, because I think it is very important that we have it, have them there, that they monitor, which they are doing right now as we speak, um, and that uh, we will have some uh, very concrete action of the Commission once we detect uh, abuse and once we detect uh, things that are not properly happening, uh, even if we do have this uh, crisis situation, you know. Crisis situation means, uh, of course, uh, extraordinary measures, but it doesn't mean that you have to be less vigilant in terms of, uh, of human rights and, and, and freedom of speech and fundamental rights. Uh, for, for, for everybody, it is quite clear now, and we do have the Council of Europe position as well, uh, that all of these measures could easily be taken within the framework of the Convention on Human Rights. Uh, there was a very, very clear statement of the Commissioner on Human Rights, uh, Dunja Miatovic, and it was uh, reiterated a couple of times, as a matter of fact. Uh, they didn't even need those who notified um, the activation of Article 15 of the, of the Convention, didn't need to do that, as a matter of fact. You could have measures taken within the framework of the, the Convention, and everybody was uh, uh, called uh, upon, called on to do that. Um, so um, yes, I mean, there's, there's definitely a number of things that we can do and that we are working on. And another very, very important thing to mention, maybe, is that we need proper financing uh, for the independent projects and for journalists. Uh, and this is, again, a complicated topic. Um, first of all, because governments should not directly finance journalists. This is a very dangerous tool. And this is, is uh, literally, you know, is, is, that's not healthy for the freedom of speech. And I would never give as an example those governments which are um, uh, granting direct financial support um, because it's... It, it, you know, it, it is not a tool that would uh, encourage independent journalism. And then uh, if we look at Hungary, this is what's happening there, right? I mean, governments are, are literally filling up with money, sometimes European money, even uh, some of their media, uh, favorite media channels. And this is how propaganda is spread. Uh, but what the EU can do and what the Commission can do here is to set up a permanent fund for projects. And this is a really important word, not a direct financial aid, but projects uh, and uh, grants for independent journalists. Uh, once you have a dedicated permanent amount that you can, of course, uh, divide into different types of uh, uh, projects and categories that they are interested in, and then ca can, they can apply directly with 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 their projects to this uh, type of financing, um, then you literally uh, help them grow wings without uh, endangering uh, and, and you know being in that situation that somebody can accuse you that you are financing the press, which is not the case. But um, here again, I, and I, I just 
yesterday I sent a letter to Commissioner Yurova uh, and, and Reinders and to Commissioner Breton as well. Um, I think they, they first of all, have to set up such a fund, an emergency fund right now, because the, the press is pretty severely hit by this crisis, unfortunately. Afterwards, after the crisis, we should think of, of some permanent uh, financing mechanisms, but through projects and grants that we make available on different areas for independent journalists. If we are able to do that, I think it would be a, quite a success, you know, with a lot of attention to the, the freedom-related aspects. But uh, we definitely need to do it because we should have media and free media, a very strong partner uh, these days in countering disinformation uh, and fighting propaganda and fake news. And I'm afraid that we are letting it die instead. Um, there are some... Uh, particularly local media outlets that are literally dying as we speak. And there's half, we have to do something about it. We absolutely have to do something about that. And I will add also the private citizen, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, meaning that me as someone that consumes media and with all these conglomerates being private ones or being state run state runs, you know, buy a subscription, make a donation, help independent journalists and independent media so that we can do also a little bit of our part to maintain other voices uh, being either on the air or on print. Uh, Ramona, with uh, coming to the end of our conversation, I would like you now to point our listeners to how can they know more about this? How can they follow this very important topic? And also, how can they follow you? for example, on uh, social media? Um, well, first of all, going back to what you said previously, crowdfunding and uh, people are main contributors as well to independent media. And I am like 100%, I 100% agree with what you were saying and I encourage people strongly to do that. Uh, the best uh, media projects that we have in Romania are, are, are financed through crowdfunding mm -hmm. to people through people which are who are contributing, wonderful. They have wonderful projects, um, and and they you know they, they, it doesn't give you a certainty because there could be times and times, but it is definitely a very clear and transparent tools tool to finance uh, independent media. And if this is if you if we want to consume high quality media, we definitely have to pay money for that and to buy a subscription and to contribute. Absolutely, so that's that's undoubtable. Um, then, um, in terms of how we can find out about what is uh, happening, uh, by all means, we, we all should follow the Council of Europe's uh, reports and updates. We should look at EU versus Disinfo platform quite often to see there how you know propaganda and disinformation literally affects our lives every day and to understand why independent uh, independent media is so important and um, look at the, the the work of all of the non-governmental organizations uh, like uh, ECPMF for example or um, IPI um, which are uh, working quite hard in in revealing and signaling all of these um, uh, situations that I was mentioning earlier all of these abuses and so on um, and um, Last but not least, maybe uh, speak with a more uh, solidary and powerful voice 
um, in terms of defending media freedom and freedom of speech. And here I'm talking about civil society, but I'm also talking about journalists who should come together more often and who should speak up more often about what is happening to them. Uh, and I am happy to see that lately this has been happening um, and uh, they, they, they are needed there um, because, you know, you were mentioning these this platforms and online platforms, and we were mentioning social media as well. Every time a piece of legislation concerning this area uh, comes to the European Parliament, I immediately, but immediately get the voice of uh, big platforms, of industries, of all kinds of, you know, actors very interested in, 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 in pushing one way or another this type of legislation. But I quite rarely got to see uh, in the past years, because I used to work in the European Parliament before being a member of the European Parliament, quite, I quite rarely got to see the voices of, of those who are directly affected by these legislative changes. Journalists, independent journalists, media, uh, uh, NGOs, you know, organizations uh, who are literally very active in, in defending freedom of speech and so on. Their voice matters. And, and and this is not um, this is not something that that we should skip by by all means. We should have this input and its uh, opinion right there. So we, well, in terms of following me, I have a Twitter account. Um, I have a political page on Facebook, and I'm trying to be active in all of these uh, areas. I also have uh, the uh, my own uh, website where I am publishing uh, my activity. Uh, also my expenses as a member of the European Parliament for the sake of transparency. And, um, you know, people can find me in all of these places. Basically, ramonastrugariu.eu um, and then um, the, the, all of these social media assembly where I am quite active. I'm going to put all these links on the description of the podcast. Ramona opened a new door, which I would love to explore, maybe have you back on the podcast, which is a, a possible new digital act. And the president of the commission, she talked about that already. But for now, I'm going to thank you so much for coming to the podcast, Ramona. This was a fascinating conversation. And you used the expression, democracy dies in silence. And I remember not too long ago, uh, Washington Post added, democracy dies in darkness. So I'm very happy to have people like you leading the way and having more voices and more sunlight in this very important issue. So please keep doing that a wonderful job that you're doing. And again, I'm going to thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure for, for me as well. And uh, yes, uh, you are right. Let us not forget that, first of all, that democracy dies in silence. And then second of all, uh, that people like independent journalists and, and uh, civic activists and civil society can keep the light on. Those are the people that can keep uh, the light on so that we would not have a blitzkrieg and wake up in darkness one day because we forgot to be vocal about it. Um, so, you know, we just need to keep it keep it on and we need to continue this uh, momentum and continue with democracy because it's the best possible world that we have. So thank you. That's now thank you. And let's then let's do it together. Ramona, again, thank you so much for coming to the pod. You are very welcome.
I'm back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this first part of July, we have a new webinar series, which is called On the Agenda. And this new series aims to build up from the success that were the Liberties in Lockdown series. This new forum will focus in things like European industrial policy, future of work, European Green Deal, digitalization negotiations, the future relationship with the United Kingdom, trade development policy, and how public institutions deal with current and future questions that will have a major impact on how our societies will look tomorrow. These webinars will take place on Thursdays, so look for our website, liberalforum.eu forward slash events, to know more information. Also on a Thursday, but this the 9th of July, on Romania, we have a roundtable which is called iVoting, a European solution for citizens living abroad. This is going to be an online event. It is based in uh, Bucharest in Romania. And the main topic is that millions of Eastern Europeans live and work abroad because of geographical reasons and few polling stations in the countries of residence. Their right to influence the democratic developments of their own country, sometimes it's denied. So this project examines internet voting. How can this be a solution? This event is supported by the Friedrich Naumann Foundation Southeast Europe and also has as cooperating partners the Liberal Institute for Political Analysis from Bulgaria and Laboratory of Initiatives for Development in Moldova and also eCivis from Romania. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament. And the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>